So I'm going to talk about human sexuality today, which means I'm scared, <laughs> which means I'm uncomfortable, because I grew up in Littlefield, Texas, and we didn't talk about these things in public, and we certainly didn't do it in church. But I love that passage from Jeremiah, which says, if I don't speak a word that's been given to me from God, there's like a fire burning in my bones. And so I have to get it out to you today. Please know that uh, since 1980, I have been teaching about human sexuality because I'm uncomfortable with this subject. And it's a way for me to deal with that as I've uh, taught uh, children from fourth grade up through uh, uh, youth in 12th grade and, and their parents. And I continue to teach. In fact, uh, first slide, big commercial moment here. Uh, I've just been trained in our whole lives. And I'll be teaching adults this fall, a group I haven't really done before. There's a 13-week course that you can take with me in our whole lives. Um, Eric Weidman is going to be teaching high schoolers, 10th, 11th, and 12th graders. There's a meeting today right after the second worship service for parents of those uh, youth to come and find out more about whole lives. So uh, please know I'm fully invested even at, at this age and stage of my ministry. So... <clears throat> I've been uh, very forthright and open and transparent with you since uh, 2007 when I came to be your pastor. And that first year I was with you, we had a church-wide study, I don't know if you remember this, called Making Love Last a Lifetime. And I told you about my brother David, who was gay. And I told you that I'm very much on the side of being inclusive and, and welcoming to all and now in my last year as your pastor with you, I'm, I'm still taking this advocacy and still taking this position of trying to be as inclusive as possible. Our church council, which is the group which makes the decisions for this local congregation, made as its number one goal for this year to have a discernment process, to have a conversation about joining with the Reconciling Ministries Network. So this is a Methodist advocacy group which wants to change some hurtful language in our book of discipline, the, the rule book, if you will, the, the theology and practice of the United Methodist. And they want to be fully inclusive, especially persons who are of different sexual orientations and not just heterosexual. So um, that discussion and debate is going on in this church we had 40 people who came out yesterday morning or Saturday morning to have brunch and a movie here. I know that some Sunday school classes are showing movies and in their other forums uh, that we are, are having this discussion. What's happening in this local church is happening on an international level. I don't want to lecture you, but please know that the United Methodist Church is in the midst of turmoil is not too soft a word. It's a really big uh, struggle and issue. We've done this before with other things with, uh, about race relations and about women in ministry, so I think we can get through this one as well. But there's kind of two sides in the discussion, and if we could see that slide, please. Um, there are progressives like me 
And then there are traditionalists, and that's where I used to be when I was growing up in Littlefield, Texas. And we didn't talk about such, such things. As you can see, there's a, a big challenge. There's deep divisions. I love this graphic because it says we kind of talk past one another here. And uh, the challenge is how to uh, talk about these sensitive subjects like same-sex marriage and gay clergy and uh, is homosexuality a sin, uh, how we interpret the Bible. You, you may not know this, but in the United Methodist Church just this past summer, there was a lesbian woman who was elected to be a bishop in the United Methodist Church. First time that has happened. I think there's seven annual conferences that are saying they're going to practice disobedience to the Book of Discipline and be more fully inclusive than the Book of Discipline uh, currently states. So there's, there's a, a real struggle going on in the United Methodist Church right now. Uh, if we could see the next slide, sometimes we progressives will um, talk in language that the traditionalists can't hear. Do you, do you see this cartoon? Is, uh, it says, uh, okay, Ginger, I've had it. You're reading the Bible wrong. You're doing harm, Ginger. Please quit, quit discriminating. Get with it. And all Ginger hears is blah, 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 Ginger, blah, 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 Ginger, blah, 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 blah. And um, you, know, you know how we just talk past one another, we, uh, we progressives. And then on the other side, those traditionalists, they will take, this, we can keep that up there, the seven clobber passages, as they're called. There's only seven pieces of Scripture that have anything remotely to do with um, uh, beyond heterosexual kind of uh, contact. And, and see, that Lisa had such good words for us yesterday at the film. The word homosexual is not even in the Bible until 1946 because... In the biblical understanding, there's, there is no idea of sexual orientation. That's, that's kind of our local, more recent construct that we're putting upon the Bible. And Pastor Lisa and I would be happy to talk to you about those seven clobber passages. Because in my own study, I just finished a 300-page book. Thank you very much uh, to be ready for this. Um, my own study has, has led me to say that those seven passages... The context is just so foreign to what we're living today. Uh, we, we don't have this shame honor code that some of them are around. Uh, we don't have uh, the, the hospitality uh, con code of conduct that uh, was in that culture. We don't have the, the, the purity code that's like in the Leviticus passages where we say, oh, we have to be different from the culture around us, which had some cult prostitution and, and fertility religions and things like that going on. And then there's just a lot of incidents of, of abuse, of abuse of power that uh, gets translated in different ways in the Bible. So again, Pastor Lisa is much smarter than I, and she'd be really happy to talk to you. Because <laughs> really, you, you, you were doing your PhD work in this area. But yes, I'm, I'm fairly confident I could visit with you as well. So... How, how to handle, how, how do we move forward? You know, when did we see you, Jesus? So in the United Methodist Church, what we're trying to do right now is to pray our way forward. What a concept. Huh? Um, there was a big general conference this past um, May, and the United Methodist Church couldn't come to decisions. So they, they kind of punted, and they are, we are creating a commission 
a study group, if you will, of about 25 folks from across the denomination and across the world to study this issue. In fact, at the end of August, that commission is supposed to be established. And in October, they're supposed to meet for the first time and make recommendations. Again, not trying to tell you too much, but in 2018, there's going to be a special called session of general conference where delegates from all over the world will gather again to try to process this. The first step is to pray. I love that. Um, I put the hashtag there. You can go do that Twitter thing and follow the Twitter feed and uh, how modern we United Methodists are and, uh, and see the discussion and participate in that, okay, to pray our way forward. Here's what I'm praying. I'm praying that we can see ourselves as God sees us. I love how the ancient ones in the faith, our, our Jewish forebears, said in the book, that very first book, the book of our creation, that we were created in the image of God. And I don't know if you got it or not, but there's a real holy mystery. There's a tension going on here because there's a singular word used, Adam, humankind, and then it says, we, Adam is created in the image of God, and we are also created male and female in the image of God. So there's a singular and there's a plural. There's, there's singular and community that's happening. The commentaries that I read, a wonderful quote from Walter Brueggemann said, it's only in community that we come to find out who we are as, as people of God, made in God's image. This is where we see God's image is in one another in this holy mystery. Here's a great quote from a rabbi. He's the head rabbi in Great Britain. I love this quote. This is a take-home. The supreme religious challenge is to see God's image in one who is not in our image. Pretty good, huh? When did we see you, Jesus? We see you in the one who's not in our image, the one who's not exactly like us. Okay, here's also what I'm praying. I'm praying that we'll see others as Jesus saw others. And if you look at the scriptures, he gets down on eye level with people. He's not all high and mighty. So he'll, he'll be with a Roman soldier. He'll be with a Syrophoenician woman. He'll be with a, a, a tax collector. He'll be with hostile Pharisees. He'll be with a 12-year-old girl He'll be with slaves. He gets down on people's levels and he sees them as God's unique creatures, as God's made in God's image. And he tells stories like, uh, like we had read there in Matthew's Gospel today. Uh, when did we see you, Jesus? Um, you saw me in the least of these. Uh, this rabbi that I quoted here, he said there's only one passage in the Hebrew Scriptures in the Old Testament that says to love your neighbor, but 36 times in the Hebrew Scriptures it says to love the stranger. <laughs> wow. Uh, when did we see you, Jesus, um, and the one who is not exactly like us? Here's what I'm praying. I'm praying that we will get to the heart of Methodism uh, John Wesley was trying to reform the Anglican Church back in the 1700s, and he was trying to be as inclusive as possible, to meet people where they were, to welcome all. 
And he had a heart for evangelism, that no one was excluded from the love of Jesus Christ. And, and, and that's where I think we can all come together, no matter if you're a traditionalist or a, a progressive like me. So if, if we could look at this next slide about where is common ground, to realize that we have a common humanity, that we have a, a, a personal likability, that we're, we're all part of God's, God's family and each of us is called to be the best Christian that we can be to show how our just following Jesus is lived out and acknowledging that we're all sinners. Can I get an amen here? I mean, we're all, isn't there some brokenness in each one of us, some vulnerability, something that's lacking, some, some way we have offended God or not been all that God intends for us to be. And, and to really love the Bible, to struggle with these passages. I met the Methodist, we did that. John Wesley said, I'm a man of one book. Give me that book. Um, Pastor Lisa and I, we sure do this. We, uh, this is the beginning point for all of our messages and all of our theology is, is to love the Bible. I think there's a little more here. Um, our Wesleyan heritage, to preach the grace. <laughs> Grace that goes before us, that's prevenient grace, justifying grace. That's the grace that makes us right with God. Sanctifying grace, that means that once we're right with God, we continue to grow in holiness and, and praxis. That means to, to practice, to balance our personal, individual holiness and as well as out there in the world. To share participation in class meetings, Bible study, to be accountable to one another in small groups and missions. To, I love this, that Methodists, we don't just gather in worship services. We are sent out in service in the world, um, locally and, and internationally. Uh, oh, this one gets me. Ending our crisis of youth homelessness. I have a powerful slide about that in just a moment. But to end bullying. Can't, can't, could we all not agree on this, no matter what your theology, what your viewpoint is here? So let's go to the next slide can we, end, can we agree to end the crisis of youth homelessness? I went to a workshop last summer, and these, these figures just blew me away. So the math major in me just, oh, 25%. So we always use these initials, LGBTQ, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer youth are homeless on the very day they come out to their Christian parent. 40% of homeless youth are in this community. 70% of gay youth attempt suicide. 33% of homeless youth meet a sex trafficker within 48 hours. And youth in this community are seven times more likely to be sex trafficked. We, we can't just stand by, right, and say, okay, write these folks off. I, I don't care what your theology is. That, okay. Um, so one, one last, yeah, I've got a couple more slides here. So this is how I, I hope we can move forward and frame this positively. Yes, we begin with Scripture. Let's keep talking together about the general arc of Scripture, about God's love for us and our love for one another. And, and could we not work towards marriage, even same-sex marriage, uh, so that we could have some holiness practiced, uh, no matter what your gender is. Uh, your... So move towards a traditional sexual ethic. Uh, chastity and singleness. This is from our book of discipline. And faithfulness in marriage. Again, no matter what your sexual orientation. 
and to be wholly, deeply self-giving, enabling people to grow towards a fuller Christian life. Uh, This is what I, I hope we can do towards a relationally oriented image of God. That was from that Genesis passage, right? We are created in the image of God towards faithfulness and towards discipleship. Big words. Uh, I have a a, a personal story to end this on here, if we could go to that. So Jonathan, uh, as we had our worship team meeting, told me about this wonderful podcast called Generous Orthodoxy. You You can access this. It's about 36 minutes long. And it's, this particular episode is about this Mennonite pastor named Chester Winger, who's 98 years of age. He wrote an open letter to his denomination, an open letter that went viral. He said, I don't even know what viral means, <laughs> except, you know, when you get sick or something like this. He, he, he sent this letter in, and it got on the Internet. It has about a quarter million views. Um, and then there was this wonderful podcast and interview uh, with him. He has been a faithful Christian and pastor all of his life. Eight children. One of his sons was gay. And when his son came out, the church that he grew up in excommunicated him. Hurt his mom and dad. His son, when it became legal in, a, uh, in the state of Pennsylvania to become married, he got married to his partner of 27 years. And then his father, Charles, <laughs> asked if he could, Chester, if, if he could perform the, the Christian marriage. And of course, his son said yes. The Mennonites, like United Methodists, Don't allow clergy to practice same-sex marriages. But Chester wanted to be there for his son. And so he did. He performed the marriage, and after he performed the marriage, he self-reported to his Board of Ordained Ministry that he had done this illegal act in the eyes of the church. They therefore removed his credentials. Generous orthodoxy. He he understood exactly what he was going to do, and he put himself out there. He took the the pain. He took the sacrifice on behalf of his son. He loved his son that much, and he loved his church that much to to self-report. In this letter that he wrote to uh, his denomination, the Mennonites, he said, when my wife and I read the Bible with today's fractured, anxious church in mind, We ask, what is Jesus calling us to do with these sons and daughters who are among the most despised people in the world in all races and communities? Chester said of his eight children, about half of them agreed with his decision and half of them disagreed. (laughs) Generous orthodoxy. Orthodoxy is just this fancy word for right belief, okay? And generous means open, welcoming, merciful, forgiving. Chester says, we carry no bitterness or regret. When did you you see the Lord? (laughs) 
I'm praying for not just this congregation or our, our denomination. I'm praying for our world. I'm praying that we would see Jesus, especially in the stranger, especially in the one who is bullied, most outcast, most reviled amongst us. The good news is that God, through Jesus Christ, is showing us a way forward. Amen.